Welcome to Campfire Convos in the Play Connection on the Clubhouse Audio platform. Campfire Convos is a weekly discussion led by Jonathan Pampel, one of Mastermind Adventures Professional Dungeon Masters. Mastermind Adventures is a team of creative professionals dedicated to conquering isolation and loneliness by building community through play. This is an informal conversation with folks who facilitate, design, or play tabletop role-playing games. Join us live every Wednesday. In this episode, we talk about building encounters for tabletop role-playing games. We hope you enjoy the talk. Yeah, I, I started in high school and uh, played with my friends, you know, and then dropped off of it for like, I don't know, let's see, 10, 15 years. And then I pick it up for the pandemic again. Oh, it's even longer than 15 years. I don't even like to think about it. Anyway, I, I put my dice down picked it back up again when I couldn't see my friends anymore and uh, had to relearn the whole thing for the new rule set, you know, had to go and learn Dungeons and Dragons again. It's a lot more friendly now than it was. Yeah, I'm probably the same way. I'm probably going to have to relearn a lot of the rules. And um, as far as dice go, I have no idea where my dice are. So that's another thing I'll have to get. But um yeah, it just uh, kind of depends on what kind of tabletop. I mean, if we are talking about D&D, then, you know, pr- probably pretty interested. Um, you know, some of the other stuff I'd probably have to get kind of up to speed on. Um, I did some uh, work with a, a developer uh, a, no- a few years back um, called Cryptozoic, and uh, they sent me um, a few uh, a few of their games uh, that they were working on. I think they have like an NHL tabletop game and like they were branching out doing a whole bunch of licensed stuff. Um, so I've kind of dabbled in a little bit of that, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a noob. That's all good though. Like to be newbie. You get to discover everything for the first time again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good positive way of looking at it. And that's, uh, it's definitely the way I, uh, you know, would be, would be, uh, would be looking at it. So, well, the great um, thing about the great thing about modern tabletop games now is that, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, um, back in the day was pretty unforgiving. Like if you, if you remember, like things were, they, things were rough for a while. Like people that there was a lot of death, a lot of death involved with the, with the characters. Uh, nowadays, like they've, they've kind of taken their formula and made it a bit more accessible. And unless you get one of the rule sets for tabletop, that's like, uh, that's like a lot more crunchy, a lot more, a lot more number crunchy, like say Pathfinder or uh, mutants and masterminds or something like that. Like everybody else is trying to make their stuff more user-friendly. They're trying to get more people in there instead of like, uh, we've got this one audience. We want to stick with it. Right. It's like when I when I picked up the the Dungeons and Dragons 5e rule set, you know, it's like the most recent one. I looked through it. I'm like, man, I I remember this being a lot more complicated when I was a kid. Because like I had charts and stuff to tell me how much armor I had, and like I I had all these like tables and and like uh, little I I had like all sorts of uh, facts and figures I had to remember. Now it's more it's a lot more friendly uh, graph paper and pencils are were my friend you know <laughs> when I, when I played, uh, go ahead 
Oh no, I just said a hundred percent. Yeah. It was, it was pretty low tech back in the day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Super low tech. I mean, when I played uh, Dungeons and Dragons, it would have to be, um, I guess the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. So I'm definitely dating myself now. (laughs) So like rule set one or two or something like that. That was the red box. That was, that was my first David. So I'm with you. That's back when the mobs could do really, really mean things to you. That's right. It was, it was combative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was, it really was an adversarial relationship you had with your, with your dungeon master. Yeah, they're basically, well, at least mine was definitely trying to kill us the whole time. Like, most most definitely, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, and I was little, you know, I was like eight, you know, uh, 1982, 83. So that's when I started. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things I think that sticks with you. Um, you know, uh, all the years later, I think you always remember those those first games with fondness, even, even if you did have a dungeon master who uh, was trying to murder you the whole time. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I was that guy every now and then, but my, my friends were in on it. You know, like we came, we, we were like, I think it was like rule set 3.5. And then that awkward Dungeons and Dragons four phase. But when we played together, they knew I wanted to kill them, but I was, I was, I was fair ish. As it, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good times though. Just pinging people on discord and what, whatnot yeah i put an announcement in there but i haven't got any bites yet so whenever i first started playing D, i was all about making combat encounters you know like i want to come have something fight my friends you know but as i've matured i've discovered that not it, it combat isn't always the only way to do things and it's not always fun it's just kind of a drain on resources instead like i i like it i like to make it to where random encounters aren't so insignificant as they were yeah do you have a methodology john or how do you usually go about it now yeah i i okay so if my players are traveling somewhere, right, the random encounter thing, how Dungeons and Dragons does it, they're like, okay, you could have a role-playing encounter or a combat encounter, and it's always something very simple, and it's something to drain the character's resources, and I kind of hate that. So what I I do is I make my own uh, random encounter table where everything that happens here is pretty significant. Like, uh, whereas Dungeons and Dragons will tell you, hey, send a pack of wolves after your characters while they're sleeping one night. You know, that's that's what the dice say. Um, Instead, I have like a little mini story or like maybe some uh, environmental storytelling going on with with my random encounters. Like, yeah, I'll take I'll take the wolf pack. 
and I will give one of them a gold tooth or uh, have like an alpha watching from the forest and have like, and have it observing them while they, they fight and they start to stalk the party instead of just having this random encounter, boom, all the wolves are dead. Now you guys are free to move on with whatever it is you were doing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, hey, Arthur. Oh, I was going to invite you up and then you were already up. So I almost moved you to the audience. I'm sorry. Yeah, I um, almost clicked that too. <laughs> You're already here. I think because I must have added you as one of the um, one of the co-hosts. So it probably just popped you right into the to the top here. What's up? Hey, can you all hear me? Yeah, now, yes. Yeah, we got you. How's it going, everyone? Good, good. We were just starting to chat about encounters and whatnot. Um, I was going to say, I I, um, I just, uh, I saw, do you guys follow the Monkey GM on, uh, or Monkey DM, I think, or something like that on, on Instagram? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? I think he's called the monkey. He he does some really. You should follow him if not. Um, he does some really great content, um, advice about running tables and stuff. And he also does. Um, I don't know. I, I really like him. I think that he's. I think that he 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 puts out some really good and useful content and, and ideas and you know thought thought ideas and about deity. Anyway, thought ideas. That's that's a six o'clock moment for you after I've been in. I've been in meetings all day. Yeah, that, that is a phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, remember so that anyways, one. Uh, he he put out a little uh, a little video about um, if you want your party to feel like extra strong, have them. Um, oh gosh, and now I'm gonna forget the word for it. But have them, you know, have them fight little mini hordes instead of like multiples of the same um, villain because um, like like you've got a horde of rats right and it has one um uh one stat block versus like 16 different individual rats uh with their own stat block um and when the party you know swings their axe or whatever they can take off you know three heads instead of just one but you can do that also with zombies or um you know other kind of creatures that that would make sense with and it's easier to manage from the DM's perspective, but also uh, from the player's perspective, they feel more powerful as they make, uh, as they kind of, you know, fight through that, that horde of creatures. Greg! Yay! What's up, Greg? Not much. How are you guys doing? Oh, I forgot that I could control my own you audio. You do. It's, it's so good Greg. to see you. I've missed you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, busy as hell, but everything's good. Uh, <laughs> Can't wait to get Barrel Maze. I know, launched, man. I'm stoked. so excited. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see your interview, too. Yeah, no, we had a lot of fun. Thank you guys for that opportunity. I mean, I think it'll be good promo material. Yeah, absolutely. And Arthur, then, you did an amazing job. And John, you too. I've, I just love watching your videos, guys, because I'm, of course, you're... Sorry, I'm having trouble hearing people. I think my internet's really bad. I'm going to try to move okay. um, to see if I can get better internet. And I'll I'll call back if I can get better internet. Cool, 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 cool. We'll watch out for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyways, I'm always fangirling over all of our, our pro GMs. I love you guys. So um, you've you. always got you me too. on your side. You know that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, 
Yeah, no, I had I had a great time doing that interview. I only dropped one f bomb. It was very effective. <laughs> you, you can feel free to edit that out. Well, it's PG thirteen uh, then. Yeah, exactly. You know, like most of my material, so it all works out. Um, but no, I'm I'm so stoked for this. I hope that uh, I'm excited to get uh, the new booking system integrated. That's going to be a project for this weekend, and then get it launched and and get the word out. You know, like let's let's go. I'm ready. So. Have you seen the new website? Uh, I have not, but I uh, uh, did. You guys redo mastermindadventures.com? We did. Yeah, it's much more kind of slick. On. Much more, um, much more streamlined. Um, I think you guys are gonna love it. It's awesome. Um, it, everything is kind of uh, helping people to find Kaylee essentially, so um, so that she can kind of get them where they need to go. Um, okay. but it's so much faster. It's loading faster. It looks beautiful. I'm very happy with it. Um, Excellent. so yeah, cause I've been unhappy with the website pretty much, pretty much since we've had it. Like I've always been like, eh, it's fine. And now I feel like we've kind of, we're, we're, we're in it. We've leveled up. So I feel good about that. Hey, Tavon, what's going on? Evening, ladies and gentlemen, just came <laughs> home from work. I'm sitting here, uh, School just started Tuesday, so I'm taking Spanish, French, and an art class. Outstanding. Fantastic. That sounds if awesome. If you guys ever need us, if we ever do something where we need a really awesome uh, voiceover, Tavon's going to be the man. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, you've got the AM radio voice. <laughs> I, I can hear the staff. <laughs> I love it. I have a face built for radio, not so much the voice. <laughs> so we're just talking about D&D, um, uh, you know, our tabletop role-playing game encounters. Um, uh, do you, have you ever played, Tavon? Honestly, I have never played D&D before. Uh-huh. We got we to gotta fix that, man. I would love to be a dungeon master just to fuck people over there. <laughs> you know, that's half the fun. I'm just saying. But you gotta hide it. You gotta you gotta hide it really cleverly. He rolled a natural twenty. But the dice got kicked off the table. It doesn't count. (laughs) (laughs) We'll definitely add you to the list, Yvonne, when we start, because we're gonna run some here on Clubhouse if you'd be interested. Oh, definitely keep me posted. I will. I will. Kristen, what you were just talking about earlier about how uh, they were suggesting that, you know, you do a bunch of uh, smaller things for players to fight to make them feel a bit more empowered. Right. right? Yeah. But do it as one stat block. So you've got like a horde of whatever's. (laughs) Well, the the way I've handled it, like I've got like a whole campaign kind of designed around this idea. You know, it's a zombie apocalypse campaign. And uh, what I did is I took the zombie stat block and I gave them a lot less HP and a lot less defenses, but there's a lot of them. And they always go last in the initiative order. And uh, pretty much the, the way it works, like the players get their turns, like almost every time they roll, uh, they're going to be hitting one of these things and probably taking it down unless they get very, very unlucky. But there's a lot of them. And if they surround somebody, they get pack tactics and they get extra damage, that sort of thing. And so, like, no matter what they do, they feel capable, but they've got to be smart about how they manage the crowd. That that sounds very much like, you know, like what you see on Walking Dead and stuff like that. It's like you versus one walker or if you're able to 
take them down one or two at a time, it's a lot easier. But the second you get swarmed, it's a whole different story. It's like that tide can turn real fast if you don't, uh, if you don't know what to look out for, you know? So that, that is a, you know, that, that's actually a really interesting way to handle that. Uh, I really liked fourth edition when they had minions, you know, like, I feel like that was one of the best parts of 4E that got, uh, that kind of got left in the dust. Um, because, you know, just having a bunch of like little one hit point, uh, scrubs, uh, that could come in and offer flanking and help and all that other stuff, uh, you know, tactically it made things a little bit richer, but it also gave, uh, the players the opportunity to, you know, feel like big damn heroes by carving through bad guys in one shot, you know? Yeah, nowadays you kind of have to make your own minions, don't you? Uh, they don't yeah. give you a lot of stat blocks associated with it. I mean, like, goblins is as close as we get, maybe? Yeah, kobolds. Kobolds, but, you know, kobolds are... Oh, uh, I, 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 I like Tucker's kobolds. I feel bad about killing kobolds. <laughs> oh, no, I, I like Tupper, Tucker's kobolds. I like mine tactical and homicidal, you know, and, and brutally so. So, you know, they don't feel bad about killing these guys, but killing one is like an achievement. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ma- make them hate... Yeah, exactly. Have you heard of Tucker's Kobolds or? No, uh, I haven't a... actually. So it's it's actually like a a, a legend. Tucker was a DM. Uh, if you if you look around, you can find the story on like Reddit or something like that. But basically, Tucker was a DM who got tired of uh, the heroes, um, you know, like curb stomping all the little guys. So he set up a dungeon, uh, the floor of a dungeon uh, that was inhabited by kobolds that were all tactical, like you'd have, uh, that, that were like military precision tactics. And he said that his party of level 15 adventurers would be fleeing from packs of level one kobolds because the kobolds were just like, you know, oh, they, they mastered all the traps. They had all the tactics down. They'd be coming at them in full plate armor with insanely high ACs and they'd be shooting through murder holes and they'd be doing all kinds of stuff. They said that it was easier for the heroes to jump down the shaft down to like the 10th level of the dungeon and fight pit fiends then go back up and through the uh, the the Cobalt Warrens because See, he gave they were them like a SEAL Team Six. Oh yeah, and then ran, just ran them incredibly smart. And the thing is, is that if you know how to build good booby traps and use good tactics, like you know how to properly use an alchemist fire booby trap or something like that, you can you can make everybody your nightmare because he he'd be doing things like forcing saving throws on weak saves and uh, just overwhelming people with uh, with with actions and just playing them smart, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's my kind of shit right there. Like I, that's how I like to run my monsters is make them, you know, make it feel like, like this isn't just like some, you know, like stack of numbers that's going to step in front of your sword and and stand there until it's down, you know? Yeah. That was a trap I fell into whenever I first started DMing. Uh, A lot of my monsters were just like, Hey, I'm going to hit this guy. Right. Yeah. I I wasn't forcing a lot of saves. I wasn't, I was not following the tactics. The monsters know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Like they, they make a living doing what they do. So like, Hey, feel free to play them smart and it's okay. Uh, Like it's, I was playing it more like a video game instead of a role playing game. And I had to correct that. I had to like beat it out of myself, you know? Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of uh, practice because it's a shift in thinking because it does, it, it does kind of tread closely to that DM versus players mentality a little bit. Um, you know, or at least some people could make it see, make it. Uh, some people could think that it's like that, but it's like no, these are supposed to be intelligent creatures with motivations and knowledge. And you know, co- kobolds in particular are written to be dragonlings, so they all have delusions of grandeur, but they're also smart. 
you know? So it's like, use that. Don't just use them as cannon fodder. And uh, yeah, if they're supposed to be master trapsmiths, then they know how to crack open a paladin in a tin can, you know, like they pack the can openers. So you just gotta, you know, you, the, the DM just has to be willing to go there and also be willing to, to, to be vicious. So yeah, but no, the, the story of Tucker's Kobolds, if you can find it online is hilarious and I adore it. So I'll check it out. Yeah. Like the, the way I kind of start building that encounter is I, I start with a simple thing. Like what is the party here to do? Like I, the random encounters, you know, parties usually traveling or something like that. Right. I try to make them significant, make them good for story and everything. But like, I start with like this kernel of an idea and I build outward until it becomes this complex situation where they can take multiple approaches. And, you know, I, I had somebody ask me this once, like, Hey, what's your, what is your favorite kind of encounter and why is it role-playing? And I thought about, I'm like, yeah, it, all of them kind of are that you should be able to role play your way through a lot of things. It's rarely just a pack of wolves trying to bite you. So like the, the other day I was trying to create this encounter where like I started with an idea, like, okay, you have to meet, this high-level crime lord in his uh, really ritzy club and get him to transfer or, like, cancel somebody's debt. You do not have an appointment. And then it became, like, it became, like, a almost like a heist movie to try to get my players into it. I had to, like, set up security and a bunch of different factions that, like, work in this club and it set up, like, an environment and, like, what happens in this place so that my players can go in there and, like, and uh, feel like the place is alive in this encounter instead of just it being the next dice roll toward their, their ultimate goal, you know? I like that. Yeah, no, that, that uh, you know, setting the scenario, setting the goal, and then, and then you know, yeah, sometimes the best uh, encounter, the most interesting encounter is the one where violence isn't the best solution, you know? And yeah, people or, wind up using other parts of their their character to uh, to solve it. Yeah, uh, in that way, like I kind of hate random encounters in the traditional sense. You know, I try to make them all significant. I try to give them their own stories. You know, uh, like my favorite kind of encounter is the complex one where like you you role play for some of it, and you 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 do combat if you really need to if you really mess something up. And I like the shenanigans that happen whenever things really go wrong. I like to see people uh, under pressure. Absolutely. And what uh, what would be the best way to turn up that pressure, do you think, in, in a given situation? Or is it just like um, just raising the stakes or is it uh, making the making failure have real consequences? Like what what would you uh what what's your favorite way to turn up the the temperature in the room uh okay my favorite way to do that is like making people hate the antagonist right like in, a, in an encounter you're trying to beat something right like let's say your encounter has a villain maybe it's not your big villain that you're looking for them to to go after but having this guy get a uh uh 
I don't know, get a leg up on the situation and uh, get one over on the team is a really good motivator for them. Like having a really dislikable antagonist during the encounter is a big part of it. But like, you don't even have to interact with this guy for things to go wrong. I uh, like risk to, to life and limb is okay. But I mm-hmm. like I like the lasting consequences. Like I think once I had my party going through, like uh, it was just a random thing that happened in the city. Like there was a chemical spill, and they were trying to uh, they were trying to discern what was going on. Like mm-hmm. one of them touched it, and it like it burned all the skin off of his arm. And it was just had like this blackened skeletal arm, but he can still move it, and he's he's lost all of his hit dice, and he's uh, now he's casting vampiric touch through the arm as his only way mm-hmm. of healing. And I like to do unconventional, like, it's not just I'm taking your, your hit points away, you know? So that lasting consequences, but that creates role-playing opportunity and character development. Right. Like, okay. the the plot in this whole thing, like, in this city was like, I need you guys to go and find out what's going on with the alchemists in town. Like, go, go get this fixed, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of my random encounters pointed you toward that. Uh, mm. the, the skeletal arm thing was kind of part of it. Like, hey, uh, maybe you should go see somebody about that. It looks, it looks wrong. Yeah, that looks a little infected. You might want to, might want to go see somebody. Yeah. <laughs> as cool as having a, a black skeletal arm is, it doesn't, it don't look healthy. That is true. Hate it when that happens. Uh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm just that 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 actually sets up so many different things. Um, I'm sorry. Go on. Nothing. Uh, it wasn't anything. I was just about to say, like, I think every encounter, like random or otherwise, should have uh, a hook to something bigger in it. I mean, sure. Like the real the real world is full of like random crap that might happen to you. But, like, everything's got a story associated with it. It's all connected to something, right? Even if it's not to the larger story that your characters are on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like even in, uh, you know, I mean, not, not, to, not to bring up the, the, the biggest, uh, you know, ongoing narrative on the Internet now. But, uh, uh, you know, Critical Role, they're really good at, like, um, you know, tying in what seems to be random stuff into a major plot line. Like, when they, don't, they don't have any fat on their story you know it's like oh they go into a tavern asking around looking for information about this guy that they're looking for and they just so happen out of all the taverns in town to talk to somebody completely randomly who knows a little something and it furthers the story you know and it it, uh it it, you can you can have that um serve the greater narrative and create a great role-playing opportunity yeah they're they're there to perform and their audience doesn't want to see like side quests you know they they want things to move and they're they're playing D anD D in a very specific way. I mean, some folks yeah. love love to wander and go do random stuff, but they are specifically trying to move things along because folks are watching to get the story right. Yeah, absolutely. And that is, uh, you know, and, and yeah, they they don't want to have anything where the narrative is dragging. They want to keep everything pushing forward. So of course, you know, when they happen across the first person that they talk to, that first person might have a gem of knowledge that might not be like all the answers, but it's like something that'll help further the plot along uh, and point them in the right direction and get them moving, uh, moving towards their, their goal. Yeah. Hooks everywhere. Just, just hooks in everything. Yeah, absolutely. What's your, what is your, okay, you, you run Barra Maze a lot. I know that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite 
a favorite encounter people do there? You know, the funny thing is, is that uh, Barrow Maze is 100% randomly generated. Uh, I generate, like, they, they tell me if they want to go into the Barrows. They tell me if they want to take a contract off the job board. They tell me if they want to explore the surface world. And then I randomly generate everything. But the funny thing is, is that there's been a couple of times where people have wound up in unintentional narratives because uh, they've they've created the narrative for themselves. And they think that it's something brilliant that I did. Like, I rolled a random encounter uh, at the... Uh, for for the return trip from the barrows after a group um had a uh rather rough delve they were all beaten to hell and they were they'd come they'd come into some fi- uh, nice treasure but they uh they were all beaten up and i was like okay well i know they're gonna have an encounter on the return trip and the return trip was a bunch of bandits led by a bandit captain in full plate and the bandits themselves were kind of squishy but the captain was a monster uh, with, for against a party of level ones, something with AC 20 and 44 hit points is a freaking tank. You know, you're not going to crack that. Um, yeah, exactly. So what they wound up doing was, uh, and these guys all thought they were so slick because they built characters with like 19 AC and, you know, like, like they were turtles and they, they tricked everything out. So it's like, it'd be next to impossible to hit them. But when I've got multi-attack, you know, like I get two attacks around. It's like I only had to hit them once to drop them, you know. So after, you know, after a bit, fighting to a bit of a stalemate, they finally managed to successfully cast the charm person on the captain and escape. Um, and they got the guy's name. And then suddenly the next time some of these guys were at my table, they're inquiring about like, oh, my God, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Mason the metal. Like, what's what's he all about? And I'm like, I pulled that name out of my ass as like a completely random uh just like you know throw away npc anticipating that they were probably going to kill him uh because they had done pretty well but they were low on resources and everything else so they wound up basically fighting to a draw and escaping um and yeah so they're going around asking about all this stuff at the before they go and do their next delve and their next delve i rolled another random encounter and that random encounter was bandits and i'm like well i know who they're finding now you know and they go into the the barrows and they wound up uh ambushing uh him and the rest of his crew as they were down there uh exploring for for themselves and they set a trap and they sprung it and they wound up winning but they had this whole like self-generated plot line and all i had to do was roll the random encounter and 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 give a name and they kind of built the story and the stakes for themselves it was it was really fun you know and uh yeah i I, like i i was going to do everything i could to just like encourage that you know um of course, like now they're like, well, we want to go find his hideout, loot that. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, he's a, it's a it's bandit captain. Uh, you know, you killed all the rest of the crew. Not too many people knew about this guy. It's not likely you're going to find that. But, you know, if they if they do some exploring, maybe they'll happen across it at one point. You know, if I if I feel like that there could be some narrative spice added for that. But, yeah, I've got I've got a couple of plot lines that are going to be running through the campaign as people do different things and different activities. And they're going to lead up to things like a, a dragon attack on the city where, you know, it's going to be kind of like an all hands Royal rumble kind of situation uh, where they have to, you know, it's going to, cause barrel maze, it's like you book me to, you know, you get your group together and we muster a table and we spontaneously. And I mean, by spontaneously, I mean like you, you set it up with 24 hours notice so I can get everything set up. Um, but you know you kind of do that uh where where it's it's you know your group books me and then we have that specific session 
and it's bookended nicely where you start in town and you end in town. So it's not like there's going to be some sort of hanging continuation where it's like, oh my God, we have to make sure we can get all these people back together so we can continue this particular story. Every session is a self-contained episode. Um, but what I want to do is build it up where with some of these plot lines, it's like, okay, Saturday at noon, I've got 18 slots up and I got two other DMs and we're going to have this, uh, this epic event because so-and-so woke up the dragon and the dragon's pissed. So who wants to come and fight a dragon, you know? Um, and that's not, that's not a real plot hook I'm going to drop. Cause I see a couple of folks in, uh, listening in the room here who have played Barrow Maze and I don't want to give away too many, uh, too many spoilers for, for my evil plans. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, what I, what I love is when people, when players come to the table and they add, uh, they they, they create the story for themselves and they, and they think that this is like something that I'd set up for them. And I'm like, no, nah, I just rolled this on the random encounter table. And next thing you know, like it's, it's taken on a life of its own, but once it does that, it's important to, to, to feed it and build it, you know? And, uh, my intention is to do a lot more of that. So I'm glad to hear that you can incorporate the randomness that comes with Barrow Maze into some kind of storyline. I have a hard time with that. Like I'm, I tend to be overprepared whenever I come, whenever I uh, come to the table with like my encounters and such, like yeah. uh, ev everything's very carefully curated and I tend to fall in love with some of the encounters I make. And sometimes it, uh, it goes very, very badly for me. Oh, uh, like I, my zombie apocalypse campaign escape from Asosha. my first through my, my first run through that uh it was with my friends right they were my my play testers my original party and uh i had this this foil set up for them i had this guy that would be hunting them through the city this this, this zombie infested city he was on rooftops with this magical crossbow and he's stealthy as heck and he's always setting like traps for them and stuff uh so First time they encounter them, encounter this guy, like I'm not rolling anything. I'm not, I'm not rolling any good rolls. Like nothing he's doing is working. He's just, there's just like crossbow bolts whizzing past people's heads. Nobody's stepping on the traps. And my warlock friend rolls a, uh, a natural 20 on one of his, his uh, Eldritch Blasts. And we roll, we, we play with like a crit deck. We play with like a, a crit card deck. So he draws a card from the deck and it's, it's quadruple damage. Bam. My guy's instantly dead. It's, it's done. And this big thread that goes throughout the entire city, throughout the entire story, is just splattered on a wall somewhere, and I have to come up with something else. And I uh, then I have to go to the, uh, the next encounters that I have done and hope I don't fall in love with any of them either. I, I didn't even get to give them any lines. Well, I think the trick there is that that wasn't the bad guy. You know, like at that point, you can just like have his twin brother show up and be like, you killed my brother. And now I'm even more mad at you. You know, if he if he didn't even get a chance to introduce himself, nobody knows. So that's... <laughs> no, he was introduced through uh, there was some buildup. There was some foreshadowing. Uh... Uh, there were people that I, I know who's out there. There's he's a really bad guy. He's you don't want him on your back. And then they just I don't know. They, they just insta give him with a well, that's the risk that you take when you play with those crit decks, because, yeah, I have one for 3.5 that was, uh, I loved it, but it was nasty because, first off, it it caused a lot of math, but it was like, oh, you lost an eyeball, so now you have all these penalties, or you lost your arm, and now you have all these penalties, or, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, and then sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, quadruple damage, the guy literally just gives, you know, like, 
there's uh, they're fun. They add a degree of randomness, but yeah, they could totally like they could screw up your deck as uh, your your plot as bad as a deck of many things. Yeah, I have to adjust my challenge rating on a lot of a lot of encounters because we use the crit deck. It's fun. I don't want to get rid of it, but I have to adjust it a lot. Yeah, no, I believe that. Hey, I gotta. I actually have to dip out. Um, I have an errand I have to run before it gets to me too much later out here. But uh, I'm glad. I, thanks, thanks for sharing the the notification about this. I'm glad I got to stop in and say hey. Yeah, thanks for coming by, Greg. Always a pleasure to have you in here. Definitely, and I'll be I'll be back around a lot more now too. Now that uh, uh, you know, now that Barrel Maze is ready to launch, I really want to make sure that uh, you know, I'm 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 having much more conversations like this because this is awesome. So thank you for setting oh, up. Oh, absolutely, good to see you. Stay safe, careful with the COVID out there. We'll do. We'll do. Y'all take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, hey, Jubay. What up? What up? What up? What is new? Are you playing anything good lately? No, just uh, downloaded Procreate and I got my pencil. So I'm going to go down that rabbit hole and see how you know images look like at different layers. Ooh, very interesting. Hey, Bree, come on up. Yeah, this girl has something to say about uh, Procreate. <laughs> I, I know her. You know her a little bit, yeah. Just a little. How have, have you, you tried this? Oh. oh, I was just saying, how have you been? I've been great. I was I was going to ask Juve if, if uh, he's tried the 3D parts of Procreate. Negative, but definitely looking forward to un, you know unwrapping this because I just got the pencil today. And Procreate downloaded yesterday, so just gonna work it in somehow after dinner today. Are you drawing? Are you um, drawing your your characters? You know, I just wanted something like whatever. I, I would love a universe just to kind of just build something, kind of like universe from a universe view. Build it as quickly as possible. Whatever templates, I haven't found the template files. I think there's some things that my download left out. So, because it just looks bare bones. Like, it, it's expecting me to import stuff. I was looking for, I don't know. Maybe I was expecting too much and I didn't even look. I just, I was, you know, I heard about Procreate and I just downloaded it. So I figured I'd just go and play. There are some things that you can you can get that um, are, yeah, downloads, but that are like character builder packs. So you could really build your D and D, um, I don't know, characters and mobs and stuff in there. I don't think I knew you were into drawing, Jube. I don't know how do I not know that about you. <laughs> Secrets. Nah. nah, this is just looking at it from like, hey, I always have to play with boxes and boundaries, and I just figure, you know, you know, digital twins. That's where I I usually work. So I would think like now that my when I demonstrate my my projects, I want the latest toys, man. I don't need to be using, you know, you know. I just want the cool toys, man. It makes life easier when you demonstrate. Oh, for sure. 
So I uh, I actually tried making my own tokens whenever I did my first campaign on Roll Twenty. I was like, you know, I'm I have almost zero talent when it comes to drawing things, but I have a good sense of space. So I was doing like pixel art type stuff for uh, for some of the characters, but it took me so long for each one that I was like, well, this this is infeasible. I, I can't do this. I can't go on. But they were all animated, the ones I did make. Oh man, a campaign we played recently that um, there was an animated um, squid, octopi, squid thing? It had tentacles, whatever it was. Tentacle monster! It was so cool. Like, it made the whole, I don't know, drew my eye for sure. Wait, you are you are very visual focused. I I know that about you. So, we got any any more DMs in the house? Any more that does uh, anybody that does uh, game master type stuff, or is it all players? Yeah, I actually, isn't that weird? Like, I don't, uh, I don't DM. I just, I just have a company that has people that DMs. <laughs> well, I... We're playing, we're playing uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, though, right now so with my husband and other humans. So that's, you know, a rare happening. And I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about that. Well, part of your tool set is the ability to wrangle creatives, which is I know is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, self like, included. It's it's hard to wrangle my own brain. It's like herding cats, but cats that have their own. Uh, well, I guess if their self importance was uh, dialed up to eleven, more than other cats. <laughs> right. <laughs> cats that maybe wanted to do things differently than cats. I don't know. All right. So, Bree, you've been in a lot of my games. I'm going to ask you a question. Like, what what was your favorite encounter you've had so far? Ooh, that's rough. Um, uh, let's see. I'm putting you on the spot because you're my wife and you can't leave. Yeah. Um, that's rough. I... Hmm. <laughs> I can hear Jude in the background as he talking about dinosaurs. Yes, yes, he's wa- he's watching Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's the dinosaur tone. Um, well, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed the first couple of mobs in or in Associa. Like, I keep coming back to the uh, Shambling Mound just because of like the newness and I didn't know what I was doing really. And I was like, um, I was just like delighted at every moment, you know, but then some of the ones where our team were, were really getting into it and, and being a little crazy. Those were fun. Uh, There are some encounters that you build uh, that are way more dangerous uh, than others. Like according to like the, the, the challenge rating you know like in in the player handbook there's like a challenge rating associated with every monster and the shambling mount is one of those party killers and i was worried about you guys whenever that happened like i was worried about what was going to happen to you whenever you rolled that particular one in the campaign yeah because it could 
it's one of those things that like it'll that'll take you and incapacitate somebody while it, it does damage to you and then fights the rest of the party. Like it can easily be a party wiper if you're not careful. I also enjoy any time my wild magic actually hits because it just like shakes things up. And I mean, I I've been playing a, a barb lately, and I'm not I'm less excited because it seems repetitive, whereas um, the sork with the wild magic just like completely puts us all on our toes. Yeah, like um, the uh, the the randomness of like wild magic sorcerers, and I think they've they've implemented something like a wild magic uh, melee class sometime recently, like a, a barbarian flavor. I forget what it was, but um, it's it's hard to design things around because every once in a while you might just I don't know turn yourself into a potted plant or blow yourself up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wild magic is scary yeah i mean it can either completely trivialize one of the encounters that i build or it can uh well it can wipe the party but you're always over prepared so when that stuff procs it's not the end of the game even if no 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 i mean uh, even if like even if i'm completely dead for the majority of the of the battle like usually you know rule of cool or something like that someone will come up with this completely off the wall you know out of nowhere idea to fix it and those are just really where i i love it yeah like my my biggest obstacle when it came to designing encounters for like my my first group was like six or seven people right and the action economy was crazy whenever it came time for combat. Like, there were so many players. And if I added that many monsters, like if I added that many other combatants, then combat became a slog. So I had to start adding in, like, uh, higher challenge rating monsters, but uh, giving them motivations other than just wanting to murder the party and then uh, eat what was left over, you know? So I had to give my monsters a bit more fear or have them fight each other too, or have the environment play a part in like uh, crippling some aspect of the monster. Well, it, it makes things more interesting than say, just having these two piles of hit points go at each other, you know? You know, a lot of the, like um, an, an encounter that was really memorable was literally us versus the environment, not even a mob. Like, um, <laughs> there was, there was a, a artificer in our group that ended up having a battle with a bunch of barrels and it was hilarious. Like he, he just kept getting, he had bad luck and he kept getting like blown up and then his fingers stuck in the, I don't know. It was hilarious. And it was, it was more Looney Tunes than Dungeons and Dragons. I remember that one. But it was super memorable, and you know, it's like an encounter with a barrel, not a mob. So I got one. Okay, so um, one of the encounters I came up with uh, that had a lot of role play while in combat. Um, one night, I decided to split all the, uh, the the girls in the party had a girls' night out. And they all ended up at like this, uh, 
this major like wrestling arena. Like they all went to like this big pit. There's people gathered all around it. They're all cheering for the combatants in the middle of the arena. And they have they see like a, a match go on in, in the uh, in the middle of it. They see like everybody's dressed up with lots of colorful costumes. There's like uh, there's fireballs going off into the air and people are screaming at each other. And it's it's more like a professional wrestling place where you have to be more of a character than uh, than you actually are. Like it's not just about hurting each other. It's more about how you play to the crowd and how cool you look. So we had uh, Bree and Sam like they they stepped into the arena and they had to play up everything they did to win the affection of the crowd as well as uh, fight these two guys to a standstill. I think you guys had to come up with your own wrestling names too. Is that correct? Oh gosh, I can't remember, but it was hilarious. Um, it was really funny though because we were sort of competing against each other too. Oh, like, you had to fight each other too. Yeah, and that was that was really cool. It was it was in, not it was more about the flourish, like a bullfighter or something, rather than you know the to the death situation that was really cool i think we had a a nun in a robot suit go in first and had like fireworks coming out of her her cape and stuff while she she fought too i love silly stuff like that that's so fun did lots of things with prestidigitation just a lot of things (laughs) that's my favorite spell welcome al i haven't seen you in a bit hey andrew how are you Oh, did we just lose Al? Or did they change places? Oh, we lost him. Oh, well. No, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, you are there. Oh, I just everything jumped around. I'm like, oh, no, we <laughs> lost him. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just going to sit back and listen because this is a whole new area for me. So is it? Educate you are me. Not a, you're not an old school D&D uh, dungeon lord? Nope, nope. I'm just, but believe me. With the people in this room, I'm going to learn a lot. So thank you in advance. <laughs> I've got to get you into the next table for sure. I'll, I'll just listen. I, I love the I love the idea though of Al of you as old school dungeon lord though. I mean, I think that that's very appropriate. <laughs> There's they not many the people who can make me laugh. That was a good part. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm here for you, Al. Hey, Andrew, what's up? How are you? Hey, good. Yeah, I've never even touched or yeah, I don't know anything about this either. Oh, tabletop role playing games. You're not a table topper. Table topper. (laughs) I don't know. Is that even a term? We're we're all table toppers. That's our high school high school football team uh, name now. (laughs) Our mascot is the table. I love that. My husband always says that was my that was my band name in in college. You know, we come up with some silly things like, yeah, that was my band name in in college. Um, Yeah. So we're just talking tabletop RPGs. If you don't know a lot about them, uh, they're a lot like uh, video game RPGs, except for that you have uh, you have more agency. I would say. I don't know. Maybe that's, I think that's true. Oh, um, much more, much more. 
uh, yeah. Well, no, we you definitely have more agency. There's no question. I'm just trying to like I'm trying to think of like the RPGs that I play from uh, video games, and it, I I do feel like there's a there's a similar feeling in some ways. Like you definitely feel like you sort of embody the character. Um, you get to make choices about the stats of that character and how that character is built. Um, but the play is obviously you have so many more choices and things that you can do. And, and, and one of the fun things to do is totally surprise the dungeon master, which is, um, you know, that's always fun. Yeah. I, one thing, one of the ways John always describes it is collaborative storytelling, which I love. I mean, it's like, you have all the elements of the video games with all the, you know, the mobs and the stats and the equipment and all that, but then you have the storytelling part of it that is incredibly creative and takes it beyond that like regular rpg yeah i i like to say that sure the the book and the rules of the game give you all these tools to work with right but what it doesn't really tell you is the most powerful tool you have is the narrative and you are shaping pretty much half this narrative like the dm has the dungeon master has this world that they've got right they've got the the framework of everything but if you can manipulate the narrative in such a way, you will always have a good time and you'll be able to use whatever tools the book gives you to do things that you would not find possible in a video game. Yeah, that's that's accurate. So, um, yeah, so we were talking about encounters tonight and uh, we'll have rooms like this. You guys are welcome to just pop in and listen in. Um, but John, you're I think you're the resident expert, so. Uh, maybe take us through what your process is when you're when you're looking to build an encounter for your groups. Okay. So uh, encounters are it can be a lot of things, right? A lot of people just think of uh, a fight whenever they think of an, an encounter, but uh, the way things work in D and D and most tabletop games is uh, it's more of a com more of a complex situation. Like your characters are here in this world and. It's not just monsters trying to eat you. Uh, what I do is I take this general idea, like say the, the players want to do a thing, all right? They've met this guy in this city. He, they need his help, but he's like an indentured servant. He's, he's got all this debt that he owes to like a, a crime boss or something like that. I tell the, the players like, hey, so this crime boss hangs out in, in his like high-end club at, at the uh, the end of town over here. Maybe you can go get him to drop the debt or transfer it to you, or uh, but you you need to get in there to see him. So I start with this simple concept, like a goal that the the players have, and build out around it. Uh, okay, so like I've got this club they have to go into. They do you have an appointment? Can you get in? No, and you got to sneak in. And I build like a building. I have like uh, characters running around. I've got like bodyguards. I've got. Uh, people that, that hate this crime boss but are here because it's the cool place to be. They, I've got this surly bartender. I've got like a creature in a pit somewhere. And I've, you've got all these moving pieces. And it's more like it's uh, it's giving little uh, it's giving players strings to pull on to try to unravel this situation that's that you've given them that's super tough. And like the more strings you have hanging off of this encounter, the out, off of this little tapestry that you've made, the more interesting things your players can do with it. So it's what looks like just 
kick down a door and go find this guy and get him to do what you want, it becomes more of a uh, an Ocean's Eleven sort of situation where you've got to uh, use your wits and and get in there and do what you and and do what you have to do with with guile as well as your the strength of your arm, you know. Yeah, that is awesome. So what kind of considerations do you have to think about um, when putting together, uh, especially I would say a combat encounter, um, you know, because there's other kinds of encounters. It doesn't always have to be combat. You can have you can have a puzzle uh, type encounter. You can have a, um, a role playing encounter. Um, but I think a lot of times when we think of encounters, we think of them as being combat related. Um, but when you're putting together a combat encounter, you know, what's, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, okay. I like to start with what can my party handle? What level are they? Like if the, if the characters are, uh, just starting out, there's a very limited set of monsters that they're able to handle, uh, without some sort of environmental help. So I have this pool of monsters I can, I can pick from like goblins are a good one, right? Or maybe skeletons or something like that, depending on how many you throw at them. But just having these two piles of hit points smash themselves together is completely uninteresting. It's just, it just becomes a slog, just taking turns to roll dice and attack things with your your spells or your weapons. So you've got to have some other consideration, like the environment or maybe a situation where somebody else is in danger uh, or maybe a, a, a key to the whole thing, like... Uh, the environmental is uh, is important, like you've got either a narrow bridge that's crumbling or a rope bridge you can cut the, the rope on, or maybe a uh, you, you have like uh, twisted vines that are running around or, or growing around at your feet. It makes uh, stepping around treacherous and makes the monsters a little bit more threatening, like uh, if, you, if you were to trip and go prone. Uh, adding all these different things into like this encounter soup makes things more interesting and makes things a little bit more easy to role play you you take your characters you take your players there you don't just throw things at them and expect them to deal with it it's more of a it's more of a complex situation like uh, can i climb this tree yeah yeah go climb the tree and, and shoot from there or can i can i pick up this rock and and throw it to distract the monster yeah go ahead and do that and the more details you give your characters and the more and like I said, the more threads you let them pull, the more interesting that they will find the encounter and the more rewarding they believe they, they will find it. Yeah, I love what you said, too, about like raising the stakes um, by giving them some kind of a tie in or, um, you know, a, a reason to care about it. Right. Yeah, it's not just you in danger. It could be. It could be you're uh, you're protecting like a, another creature or an NPC or somebody that the party carries uh, cares about, or it's time sensitive. You don't have time to fight these things. You need to get away, you know. But there's there's all sorts of things in your way to to prevent you from getting to where you're going on time, you know. Like it's 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 less about just trading blows with a bunch of monsters and more about giving them something to care about and then having them go for it. What I really, I, I really don't like just straight up fight encounters. I mean, especially, uh, especially like the really simple mobs. So I want, I want every one of them to tell a story, at least like a little story that that tells the give the players some 
puzzle piece of the why things are happening instead of just what's happening. I like the encounters that give you a, um, like a, a moral predicament, you know, like, do I, do I sacrifice this? I mean, is it, it's like the train or the, the trolley problem in the D and D game. Yeah. People really like going around the trolley problem. Don't they? I, they always try to have their cake and eat it too. And I, I like letting them do that when they're creative enough. Hey, welcome, Jacob. We're just talking encounter building for tabletop RPGs. I don't know. Are you a are you an RPG player? I am. Awesome. Well, feel free to jump in. It's kind of a casual, casual, casual conversation. So, um, nothing super formal in this room. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I agree that sometimes straight combat encounters can be a bit of a of of, of a drudge, <laughs> um, but I think that uh, some of the best uh, DMs that I know um, make them more interesting too by by kind of adding that flavor to it. You know, they might I might say, "Hey, I I take a swing at the troll," but they like describe in more detail uh, what happens on the reactive side, and I always love that about I'm not as creative as that, so. I'm always amazed by how people can think on their feet that way and just come up with something really beautiful that's that's more engaging than um, maybe what I what I had in mind myself. It's not something that every DM does, but I I like to give my monsters and my more intelligent opponents a bit more of a flair to their combat. Like whenever they take a big hit, they're going to feel it, and there's pain and there's there's injury involved. You know, like I have. I have blows to my to my antagonists actually mean something. Like if you if you take a slash at somebody's torso and he and it gets through his armor, he's going to be feeling it. He's not he's holding on to to himself to try to stop the bleeding instead of like using his entire uh, momentum and his tire his entire body to hit you that hard. So I'll give him I'll give him disadvantage for a couple turns, or maybe he hits a little bit less hard, or or he tries to back away. Like his behavior needs to reflect that he's in a fight instead of say just throwing himself at the party and not caring if he dies. Uh, the, the world feels dead when you don't have creatures and uh, NPCs care about their own lives. Like having goblins just throw themselves at you for a while is not super engaging. My my favorite thing right now is like for level one adventurers, if we're fighting goblins or something, have have them have factions, like have the goblins fighting each other. And when the humans or the, the adventurers blunder into things, just have it be a complete weird melee where where like enormous like goblin made contraptions are going off and like taking out swaths of them while the others are just are uh, going after the adventurers because that's what you do when you're a goblin. But then they're all fighting each other, too. It's just a. It, it becomes a total mess, and that's my favorite type of combat instead of the straight-up team versus team fight. Hey, Chris, welcome. We're just chit-chatting. Uh, feel free to jump in as you have a thought or an idea or anything that you want to contribute. Um, we're talking about encounters. Uh, we just talked a little bit about... Um, uh, we just talked a little bit about combat encounters, but we can talk about other kinds of encounters, too. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, how do you think about other types of encounters that you need to set up for 
your um because it doesn't always have to be combat and um i know like which light which we're playing right you know my my family's playing right now um the combat is very de-emphasized so a lot of it is more like uh collaborative problem solving and those types of things and so how to how to keep that interesting um you know because that can also feel uh feel kind of like a slog you know if you don't have some some interesting things to hook people in hi thanks yeah um i like that what i just heard about the combat with goblins i mean i i think i have what I would say is something um, kind of more general, but along the same lines. Uh, what excites me about playing a game or watching a movie, and I think what's immersive is the sense that what you're seeing a lot of the time is the tip of the iceberg, and that it's the, the one layer, and that there are so many other layers of things going on. And, and whether you can uh, set that up in advance or give the sense that, that everyone isn't really seeing the full picture and there's more going on and then develop it in real time, I think that uh, that makes things exciting and really compelling because I think it's the uncertainty Um and the sense that they don't really know the full situation that makes things interesting. Yeah, there needs to be mystery. The world needs to feel big and it needs to feel dense with, with stories and, uh, and deep in that way. The characters are a very tiny part of it. Even though they're important, this is what, they're what they're all about. This is, they're what this is all about. But I like, I like having them feel like they are a very small player on a big, big stage they're only scratching the surface and there's that's what the hooks are for the hook should be in all the encounters you got to make sure that you're instilling a sense of trust in your players though that you know something big happens during an encounter that you guys that the players don't even see but then down the road like it has to come back or else you know people will start i think feeling that like that paranoia or something like you just have to make sure that that those big things that are triggered that we see like while we're fighting something else actually do come around yeah it's it's a practice i have where i i say that everything is significant even the random stuff like it's got to matter somewhere that's i try to put hooks in everything i do so like um you you find a dead guy in an alleyway and he's got like uh, a label on the inside of his shirt that has his name on it. It's, it's a professor to somewhere like, well, this guy didn't have anything to do with what we were doing, but we could go and check that out and, and find out what he was doing at the university. And it, you know, and that it's like another part of the story. And, and I have that tied into something else in the city, you know, it's more of a, like, sure. Not, not everything in real life is connected to each other. Not not necessarily, but at least have it be where like I don't want my players to feel like I'm wasting their time with uh, with just little stuff that I'm just throwing at them. You know, like there's something to stumble over, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. I I know I know. 
I'm like, yes, yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I like to do is I, whenever I have to go and make encounters for say people traveling or something like that, um, I make them more interesting than, than just throw monsters into the mix, you know, like this monster probably has a story, you know, this one probably has a story too. It probably has a home somewhere. Like I, I like to allow my players to explore a bit, like after the fighting is done or after the, after the, the talking is done, give them a bit of a place in the world. And even if that place isn't necessarily consequential to the main story, it's got stuff in it that has your, the lore and the background for the world come out organically instead of, uh, me just giving them a history book and telling them to read. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think the unfolding of a world is some of the most um, exciting stuff as from a player's perspective. That's so challenging. Like I have the utmost respect for a uh, DM that can do that in a, in a two hour one shot session, you know? Yeah, good luck with the two-hour one-shot thing, <laughs> getting a, a whole complex world out there. But, I mean, during during sessions, it's good to have that sense of mystery. Like, I want them to want to find out things about it. You know, um, I like to have things that you can miss and things that only hint at other parts of the world. But it's interesting enough to where they want to pull at that thread. You know, we played that one, or I, I guess I played that one session that was a redo of The NeverEnding Story, and it was a one-shot. Um, yeah, with, with Laura. With Laura. It was so fun. And it was a totally different, like, world building. Like, everybody almost came to that world already knowing so much about it, but you were, like, encountering things that you were hoping you would encounter, but you didn't know if you would. So it was like unwrapping a present. Yeah, that everybody was expecting. You come, you come with you know? that shared knowledge of the world. That's kind of how things feel whenever things are set, like in, say, post-apocalyptic Earth, or maybe like uh, modern modern day, like uh, Call of Cthulhu type stuff. You know, like it's it's set on Earth, but uh, it's just little things that are different about it. It's it's cool to find things that you share, what as you experience the story. Uh, I'll be right back. Five minutes. No worries. Um, yeah. So, what are some of your? I know Jacob, you're you're a D and D uh, person, and Chris, I know you are too. What are your some of your go to um, uh, kind of ways of, of approaching encounter building? I really like what Jonathan said. Uh, I think he touched on a lot of points. Um, I've only played D and D a few times, um, but just in general, um, just thinking back to like all the Blizzard games that I've played and um, I don't know, just different games that I've played growing up. Um, um, I don't know. I don't have too much of an opinion right now, but I'm definitely excited that there's conversations about building games. Um, I've always wanted to. Um, <clears throat> I enjoy building fun stuff if I have a chance. So, um, 
I'm enjoying the conversation so far, and when I do have something to contribute, um, I will definitely speak up. And thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chris, did you have anything, or anybody else? Jube, I know you're you you do play D and D. I know or have. Yes. Oh, um, what I would say is, I, I've played a bunch of different games and a ton of video games like Warcraft and Skyrim and so on, and just watch the movies and the TV shows and all all that stuff. And and um, I also collect like rules of different systems. So I've got like, I don't know, maybe 20 different books on, of role master. And then their cyberspace game and like D and D the original and like version five. And then I may get version three. And I, I, I think game design and like the theory of it's interesting. And I like to read how they've set it all up. Um, one of the things I found that was really cool on the uh, RPG Now site, uh, where they have all the downloadable PDFs, is the Mythic Game em Game Master emulator, where you can generate uh, entire game sessions just using dice rolls, and they've got tables that determine whether the thing that happens is an encounter and what type of an encounter or, or which type of thing happened and or whether it's a, a evolution of the plot or a character and then you can determine uh there's like another table for what type of character it is and how do they tie into things or what what disposition do they have to the party so i think that's really interesting like the idea of of winging it but also using some of these tools to uh randomly generate the story as you're going i also um i collect like tarot cards and and those types of cards but they're also many many decks for um screenwriters writers of books and dms so there's like the story forge cards and uh uh writers toolkit and things like that where those are other systems where you can like um uh, shuffle the deck and then start laying out uh, what it is you're doing and either to prepare it or during the game. It's just something fun to play with as an idea generator. I, feel I agree. I love those types of uh, tools. Um, I'm a huge lover of, of templates and tools and things that help support the storytelling. Um, you know, I, I'm not a dungeon master, but I, I do other types of game design within our company. Um, and uh, and even for, um, well, Al was was one of my play testers uh, for <laughs> for a game that we did for a company um, for for Arizona State uh, University's Thunderbird um, College. Uh, and and one of the things that we use that we fall back on, uh, for these, it was actually a training uh, for um, for for an organization, uh, and we used role playing game elements. Um, but one of the things that I often go back to just to make sure that it feels like we've covered all the bases is the five room dungeon. I've found um, if you guys don't know, John Four's found five room dungeon. I'll post it in the I'll, I'll post a link up above here. 
Um, but I return to that over and over and over again as a template um, for storytelling. Um, we use it in when we're teaching kids how to write their own encounters or write their own role-playing game um, stories and, and worlds. Um, we use that as one of the things that we teach them because it just makes it... Um, I don't know, I, I, I guess some might think that it's a crutch or whatever, but I, I feel like it gives you a place to start and then you can always innovate uh, from, from that. Well, I feel like that's resistance training for, for like dungeon mastering and, and creative storytelling and such. Like whenever you use the tools that kind of give you a jumping off point, I feel like it's stretching your brain in a way that you would not have brought it, would not have used it before. And having to jump off of that is more like a, a workout for the creative side of your brain than it is a, uh, it's not, not so much helping you as giving you a place to start. So you don't have to see, so you don't have uh, uh, like analysis paralysis. Yeah. And, and I do think that that, is um it's it really is really versatile um like i said we've used it for applications that are not specifically for you know tabletop role-playing games i just pinned it to the top if you're interested um but it's uh, if you don't know it it's it's definitely worth um worth a look um and i also really like chris the um those kind of you know decks you know card decks that give you characters or give you different parts of the encounter and you can kind of shuffle them together and see what you come up with um, I think that makes in and of itself a really fun just exercise and game. Um, and I don't know if you've seen, have you guys seen the map dice? Map dice? Yes. I think I have some here right next to me. Um, but it, they're basically, uh, it's it's dungeon dice or map dice or something, but it's, uh, it's six-sided dice. There's like a handful of them and you can roll them and then put them together and they all fit into like a little grid and you can, you know, move them around. They don't have to be a square. Um, and that like generates like a quick, um, you know, kind of dungeon uh, for your players to get into. And I think that stuff is super fun. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I guess it takes some of that burden off of you to like, oh, what am I going to do for a layout, right? Yeah. It keeps yeah. you from becoming unpredictable. Exactly. Yeah. I guess as much as I go on and on about player freedom, I really, really, um, I always like have a tight grip on what kind of encounters I make. Like, like I like to have a list of stuff that I made like on this this list where I can roll for them, right? Like just taking them and giving control over to like a uh, um, to like a, a book or something. Uh, like I I look at it, I'm like, ah, no, no, I can't, I can't do it. But I should, I should try it some more. It would it would help me with my creative process, I think. You know, it, it, the other day we were talking about um, playing Beat Saber and how you know if you if you if you play the beginning of the song over and over again, it just tires you out. But if you can get to the hard parts in practice, then then that's really where you'll grow. And so it's like that intentional 10,000 hours. If you just do 10,000 hours of repeating the same, the same beginning parts over and over again, you kind of lose those growth, that growth opportunities. I am chronically over-prepared for all of my games. Like, um so since i i have like a, a table full of players i create encounters specifically for them and then i put them all on a table and i roll for it and i imagine 
I've written like six branches of this multiverse that I didn't have to because uh, I wanted to be prepared for almost anything. And having tools like this and actually using them would probably have saved me a whole lot of work. Yeah, it's classic. It's been around for a long time, um, the Five Room Dungeon. Um, but it works. Like it just, it just works, right? And it, and it works for all sorts of of situations and and all sorts of reasons. So um, that whole site is is pretty useful if you if you haven't explored it before. Now I'm gonna start counting rooms in every dungeon. Right? Going. Yes, no. I know. <laughs> this is not allowed. You don't you don't get to pull back the curtain like that. <laughs> well, honestly, it's a great way. I know, Jonathan, you talked about how how challenging it is to get, um, you know, to get sort of a, um, a an encounter, you know, or, or a group of like a, like a one shot, right? That's going to fit within two hours. Um, but you can use a three room dungeon. You can use, um, you know, you can use any number of the rooms to kind of make it shorter or longer. And then it's modular. So if you see that you're running long. You can just remove a room and then papa you're at the end final challenge <laughs> like <laughs> you know it, it makes it easier to kind of plan on the spot um because of course your players will never do what you think they're gonna do damn them they're always gonna do some some crazy shit you can't quite <laughs> you can't quite plan yeah for. there would be way fewer moving parts than i've got in in my one shot like when i run dead descent there's like there's all sorts of stuff going on in the background lots of rolls i'm making and any any room the the players visit has like hooks to the main plot and um but getting them to like go and and actually take one of the hooks and follow it to the end is a challenge and i i try not to slap them with tempo events as much as possible but sometimes it just it has to be done like i i consider my one shots like a, a one big encounter and um i think i I think my notes page for Dead Descent is something like 30 pages and it didn't have to be. Oh my it goodness. It did not have to be. <laughs> You're not kidding. No. <laughs> does it make you feel better? Like is it is it like does it make you feel like oh okay I got this like does, I have is a it, real problem. Like is it serving a purpose? <laughs> no. It... <laughs> we need to send you to over preparers anonymous yes, or something. Yes, <laughs> I, I have a real real problem. Hold on. I'm, I'm looking up the page number now. Yeah, it's it's 25. Anyway, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the background. I wanted I wanted the place to feel dense and you could run through it twice and not have the same things happen. And I'm glad that it's done now at least. It's been <laughs> so, accomplished. Yes. But I, I, sure. I sat there in my I work out of my garage. I sat there like typing away on my computer for days trying to make this happen, you know. I can relate to that though. I know our first, uh, you know, we're we're re we're redoing Eagles Claw right now, uh, which is our our kids program. Um, uh, for uh, it's like a it was originally it was like a wizarding school based on like the Harry Potter universe, but now of course we're moving away from that and uh, we're creating a Discord server where the kids can come and do encounters and and kind of live on the Discord server. Um, and it's more is we're going to be using the the new Strixhaven uh, Dungeons and Dragons rule set uh, for the actual games, um, but uh, but the very first Eagles Claw, I just felt so completely out of my out of my element. I mean, I was like, I just don't even know. I knew we wanted to do 
like sort of like a, a live action role play, but I'd never even been to one before. So I felt really um, unprepared. Like I really just didn't know. So what ended up happening is like that whole, <laughs> that whole summer getting ready for it, you know, the two months leading up to it, I feel like I didn't eat, I didn't sleep, I did nothing but like prepare for Eagle's Claw. Um, and we ended up with some, I mean, now we're sort of reaping the benefit of that because as we're going back and trying to reimagine it, we have everything and we have everything. We have all the lore and writing. We can pick and choose what parts of it that we want to keep. But for my own sanity that summer, way overprepared. Like the kids didn't do anything that I that I thought they would do anyway. They made up their own, um, <laughs> ended up making up their own um, economy system that I had no idea would even happen. I just, you know, we had these gold coins that was sort of like a game. You search for gold coins in the grass sort of a thing. They It ended up being a thing that like the next year we had to like tell them, um, you know, n n not to trust the house elves with with real money, and it, it, it's a it's a long story, and I'll share that some other time. But um, but I, but I feel you. Like I think I understand kind of that fear of I'm not going to have enough. It's not going to be enough. Um, you know, and then you end up with 25 page documents for a for a one hour adventure. Yeah, it it comes from a desire to give my players complete freedom to do what they want to do, and I want to have something ready for them, something cool ready for them, no matter what they do. And it and it just becomes a uh, it becomes a branching multiverse that I will never be done writing. And I mean, I think a part of me really likes that, <laughs> but also I, I value my sanity. I think as you as you go, as you um, as you mature as a dungeon master, either you get way more chill. Or you have like the red yarn and the uh, the cork board, and you're you've got like uh, you've got like text stuck and everything, and you've got this whole storyboard taking up an entire wall of your house. Yeah, which she actually does have, by the way. Or you end up creating a game system and then running it with a bunch of people, and then writing it all down, and then turning it into a series of like seven books or whatever, and then you have the expanse, and you're the story runner. Your name is I Frank, or something. Like that. Yeah, that, that is a success story. Is, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was like watching the the uh, podcast on YouTube, Ty and that guy, and they were talking about how the whole thing started twenty years ago when he like came up with the game and like played with a bunch of people. So, I mean, it may not be yeah. bad to be like writing the twenty five pages. Maybe that's what you're gonna end up doing with it. <laughs> that way he's got a point oh i was just gonna say hi to tom but he's not here anywhere bye tom well a lot of it started is that you know gun's always been a writer and so um it naturally came into this collaborative storytelling situation and uh he literally wrote a book in november so i think it's all kind of additive i didn't know that john yeah. Tell well, us it's, about it. it's a draft, so it's not a book yet, but it's about about sixty thousand words right now, and it's a story about uh, post-apocalypse Earth, a an entity from another universe is slowly devouring our reality, and uh, the way it does this is that it like injects like a chaos energy into our world, and it's kind of dissolving how things work, like digesting on the outside, and then it it pulls everything in. So like, uh, 
so when uh the the world goes through like these uh dark and light phases whenever the 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 extra universal entity is eating like uh things get really dark and things get really weird and folks have found places to live that are kind of safe from this effect and but it's not sustainable so they send some of their best out there to try to combat the problem like it's like a like a last ditch effort to uh to save to save earth and our story follows like uh five different friends that are in a party and they go on uh an adventure to to try to find a way to save their world it becomes a sort of it becomes a sort of uh dungeons and dragons or tabletop adventure but set in this this different setting on on earth right it it's it becomes a a very hero's journey sort of thing that you see in a bunch of different D&D campaigns but it's it's more set in a a weird earth which i know has been done before but i i found the the concept fun to play with that's amazing jonathan i think that's fantastic we have to when you when you're ready to publish you got to let us know so we can help hype you up yeah, the revision process is long and arduous right now like i wouldn't show it to anyone <laughs> nobody yes i understand that's that's the writer's journey i think that's uh you know that's that's kind of how it is you'll you'll get it you'll get there you'll get there So we can wrap up in just a few minutes, but um, do you want to kind of pose like one last question and sort of talk through uh, some aspect that we haven't really addressed yet? Okay. Um, so we've got the role-playing encounter, right? We've got the combat encounter, but we haven't talked about something which is like the uh, mystery sort of encounter, like uh, where there's a lot of different things to discover in an environment. And uh, I'd love to have everyone's uh, input on how things have been handled at their tables. Like I, I have this one room in Dead Descent that is just full of stuff to discover. Some of it's tied behind uh, skill checks. Some of it's tied behind like just noticing that things are there. And uh, it, it actually becomes a sort of like peeling the onion situation where they find out something that's uh, like everything they find out is super relevant later, but handling the mystery is actually a very big time suck in, in the module. I mean, it's fun, but uh, at the same time, I've got to move people on before they discover everything. Like I've got to get people out of there or else the story never moves along. I'd love to have people's input on something like that. How does your DM handle mystery? Well, I can I can tell you what I've what I've learned about it myself. Um, so, uh, but if anybody else, please unmute if you want to jump in because I don't want to I don't want to hey Devon uh, I don't want to you know monopolize the last minutes here. But um, one thing that uh, this is it's mystery is hard, right? Because uh, kind of along the lines of also I think secrets and puzzles. Um, or, or, or things that are a little bit trickier for people to figure out because you're the GM, right? You're the, you're the person in charge. So it's, it's to you, it's easy. <laughs> 
So it's always hard to sort of know. I need, I know, I'll just speak for myself. It's always hard for me to know when I'm setting up some kind of a mystery situation, how to, um, how to not make it too hard. Um, but also make it challenging enough so that they're not like, they're not going to just like solve it right away. Um, and so actually somebody that I met here on clubhouse, um, Dave and his last name is escaping me. Maybe you remember Al Dave. Um, I can't think of his last name, but he's the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective is, is one of the things that he, that he's responsible for, um, the, the specifically the Baker street irregulars. Um, and, and he's written other, other tabletop games that have, um, that mystery is kind of at the core of them. Um, so I asked him one time, I was like, how, because first of all, I'm a huge fan of, of that series and, and specifically the Baker Street Irregulars is, is outstanding. Um, so if you want a really fun table, like tabletop game, that's not a role-playing game, but has a lot of kind of mystery elements to it. Um, and a lot of like interactive parts to it to play, um, you know, with somebody else or even by yourself or in a group, it's, it's a great, it's a great game to pick up. Um. So anyway, I asked him here in Clubhouse one time, like, how do you do it? Like, how do you create it in such a way that they're not like, oh, yeah, obviously it's this one thing, but then also not make it like so overcomplicated that don't, they don't feel like they they got to win. They got like the answer and they feel smart. Um, and his advice was that you create the you create the puzzle on the harder side. You make it a little bit on the harder side, but you build in scaffolding um, and kind of uh, ways that they can find helps along the way. So that if it is too hard, they can just sort of um, you know they can look for that uh, the scaffolding that's there for them within the story or within the clues um that are revealed to them over time so that they 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 get to feel like they figured it out but they felt they you know you kind of reveal a little bit at a time um i, I guess they're at timed intervals or at certain points um so that they get a little bit of experience with both that feels a lot like an escape room yes like, it is isn't it yeah yeah i mean a, yeah a lot of the, the the people that used to come into the game industry rooms I think there were quite a few escape room designers. What I, what I, uh, my, my practice is that I try to give them small pieces of the puzzle that are at least one logical leap away from what they should be taking away from that particular clue. Right. Um, say there's, there's scuff marks on the floor right here next to the bookcase. Well, that's one logical leap away from this bookcase can move like on a hinge or something like that. Right. Or there's, there's dried blood over here, but the rest of the room is pristine. That's, that's one logical leap away from something happening in this room. Right. Like I, I try to give, uh, I try to make the puzzles come out to like a lot of little pieces that slowly add up to something like the scaffolding you're talking about, or I guess I called it peeling the onion earlier. I'm, I'm totally uh, notorious for completely being oblivious to those sometimes. <laughs> in one of my encounters, I woke up with something literally in my hand, and I still was like, okay, cool. I'll just put that over here now. <laughs> yeah, that was a frustrating moment for me, too. <laughs> she Her character wakes up, like, and there's, like, a, a silver brooch in her hand or something like that, and she's like, well, I'll just put that away. Let's move on. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, woman. <laughs> uh, what do I have to do? 
I'm like, okay, this is cool. It looks like stuff that's elsewhere. Got it. Note to self for later. <laughs> I love that. Maybe too, too many logical leaps away from what I actually wanted you to find out on that one. Like what, what was happening is they had an NPC following them around and was too shy to approach them. And uh, it took one of the players taking uh, the perceptive feat, like the, uh, the, the, the feat that allows you to have like a, I think it's like a, a 20 passive perception or something like that to actually spot him wandering around out there instead of them figuring out that he's helping them out in the background. You guys were a real problem. Ah, problem players. That's a great topic for another room. <laughs> yeah, maybe next time I'll add that to my list of topics to bring up. We were new. It was our first like big campaign together. I can't tell you how many times as a player, though, that I have just totally missed the obvious thing um, that was obvious once I knew, you know, about it. Like, or or just forgotten to do something super simple as a as a player. Like, I don't know investigate the room <laughs> see what's there <laughs> like completely forgot because i was so excited about the story and just charged right out of the room and it's like okay everything you needed to know to finish this encounter was actually back there so now you know i've, I've done that a number in of your times defense, you are projecting your consciousness onto a completely fictional character in a place that you can't see so it takes some practice it's true it's true thank you thank you I mean, that seems like a whole topic in and of itself, how to clue people in to what you want them to do that they should be doing without telling them what they should do as players. The little, the little nudges, the like the, the hooks that you give them, like sometimes they're fish hooks, sometimes they're meat hooks. You bad visual. Well, sometimes you've got to drag them kicking and screaming to what's got to happen, right? Right? Yeah, I think so. Or you can have 25 pages of a backup plan. That's the other thing you could do. Well, I <laughs> I feel called out. <laughs> I'm not going to mention what my bigger campaigns have is the in, in the notes. How do you have space in your house, Bree, for all these notes? That's that's what I need to know. <laughs> He's in the garage. Yeah. I work out of the garage. It's very cold right now. Oh, uh, my, yeah. I was, I had an office. My son kicked me out. So now I'm in the garage. I, uh, this is my D&D &D space. That's fair. That's fair. Well, any other questions or anything else from, I know that we've kind of monopolized the chat. So anything, Jubei, Chris, Al, anything that you guys wanted to talk about or questions or thoughts um, before we wrap up? We just want to give some time for Q&A. Just enjoyed listening. Thanks. Thanks for popping in. Same for me, man. It was really cool to just listen in on the experts. And uh, I'll be at the next one. Yay. Yeah, we'll announce the next one at least a day or two in advance. And we'll we'll have another topic going. Maybe problem players. Bree, you can come to that one too. <laughs> you can make an example out of me the whole time. It's I totally will. fine. The one time I like played an entire encounter completely dead or not dead just just in another realm or something like that 
And then when I came back in, I like cast finger of death on myself. It was crazy. <laughs> we will just all make fun of Bree the whole the whole time. That's that's the plan. Chris, did totally you have something fine. to tell your mic and unmute for a sec there? No, no, this has been fun. Well, thanks so much for showing up. Um, yeah, so we will do, we're, we're, we're really uh, dedicated to trying to do more on Clubhouse. We are making lists for people that want to play. Chris, did you get to, to play the last time that we did uh, encounters here on Clubhouse? Um, I think I did a one session. Right. One. Yeah. So you're welcome to play again, Al. Of course, you're invited. Jube. I think you also tried and, and couldn't get in or, or there was, hey, Tiger, we're just wrapping up. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, we're happy. We're going to start running them again and, and we want to um, help build community and kind of show people what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, we're here for you guys anytime um, and we'll be doing more of this. So thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we'll see you later. It's nice to see all you guys. Ooh. Yeah, thanks, Juve. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs>